in today's episode. Posters always manage to surprise us. That's kind of professional uh, curiosity that you kind of find out. But the good frosters, they have already tried their methodologies and systems on your competitors. If you don't have a software engineering background, that's fine. You can still be a good fraud fighter and fraud analyst. I guess I don't have a magical formula. The biggest difference for me was like switching from a senior fraud analyst to more of a manager and team lead position with that. Yeah, if you don't have any prior fraud experience, then the decisions that we make today on how we build our fraud engine will affect us in a year's time. You need to have that balance because it's it's not a sprint here. I want the team and myself to be still working in a year's time and be happy and motivated. If you're thinking about switching to a cool company, then Volt is always hiring, so let's talk as well. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today for a new episode of the podcast A Journey into Fraud Prevention. I'm your host Ivan Prokofiev. New episode and new exciting guest. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate the episode on any platform such as Apple, Spotify or YouTube. And share the podcast in your network. It means a lot to me and allows me to invite more and more new guests. And most important, enjoy. Let's begin. Поехали! Hey, Alice. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you once again for joining me today. It is a pleasure to invite you. For people who don't know you, could you start from simple to introduce yourself? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, my name is Janus Udme, and I work at Polt as head of fraud. And those of you who don't know what Polt is, we're a European super app with over 150 million customers. We operate in 45 countries and more than 500 cities now, mainly in Europe and Africa, but also in uh, Asia and also South America. And what we do is that uh, our mission is to make uh, cities for people and not for cars. So what it means is that we offer uh, alternatives to owning a personal car. So that's ride-hailing business, shared cars, uh, scooters, food delivery, grocery delivery, such things. So. Yeah, that, that's what we do. As I mentioned, we operate in Europe and Africa. So that means a lot of interesting countries for fraud. And since we have different business verticals, it's almost like having businesses inside of a business. And um, yeah, my team takes care of all, all of that fraud and we're based out of Tallinn, Estonia. So that's my work site. But on a personal note, I live in Tallinn, in Estonia. I have a wife and four kids. So free time, I don't have much of it besides my busy work and uh, yeah, keeping up with the kids. But what I like is I like uh, working out. In my younger days, kind of early life, I did a lot of sports. I was quite an okay triple jumper and log jumper. And I got a scholarship to go to the US, University of Arkansas. I spent my time there, got my master's degree in computer science, had a good time competing and studying. And uh, when I came back, I managed to compete a few times at European championships as well. So that's kind of my passion to do sports. But yeah, nowadays it's more about just doing stuff for fitness and personal health. So that means uh, bicycling and uh, yeah, just taking it kind of easy in the weight room. And uh, additionally, I like to listen to music a lot, uh, mainly rock and metal music. And if there are any concerts in Tallinn, I try to go to them as much as possible. Amazing. So we already have a plenty of information to hack your account because you mentioned a lot <laughs> of the things. <laughs> and if you're using, you know, the secret words, how many children you have or uh, what's your, what sport you did, 
when he was yeah. younger. So yeah, and sorry, uh, we already like <laughs> have plenty of formation. Actually, I, I really want to share one thing before we started. You presented an MRC in Athens where we met, actually. And um, one of my colleagues who didn't know anything about fraud participated first time in MRC. And he told me the presentation of, from both was a great one, amazing one. And uh, most remember him because you just like showcase how it works. And for him who never saw anything familiar with that one, it was something like break his mind. And he started to ask a lot of questions to me like, What's fraud? What it is? What how it works? So you did a great job. I would just want to deliver this feedback from my colleague. Thank you, thank you. Good. It's good to hear. Yeah, like we enjoyed uh, doing that presentation because I enjoy talking about fraud and uh, giving examples. So I'm very happy to hear that other people enjoy it as well. It was great. Yeah. Let's uh, jump on my first question. It's usually a very simple question: fraud prevention. What is fraud prevention for you? Well, yeah, interesting question. It's like getting philosophical <laughs> almost here. But uh, like ideally, that for me, fraud prevention means that that we have a plan or a strategy on how to deal with fraud. Because, for example, at Bolt, we're constantly launching some new features, maybe doing group rides or we're expanding to new markets. So for us, two things are certain. Uh, sooner or later, fraudsters will find a way to do fraud. Like it might happen tomorrow, it might happen in a month with this new feature, but it will happen. And secondly, fraudsters always manage to surprise us. So that means that uh, we don't go crazy before launching a new feature, a new market, by like trying to come up with all sorts of uh, ways that they can attack us and trying to build all sorts of different uh, rules and systems to prevent that. Like we know the basics, like what we need to cover, we cover them, but then we kind of wait and see what's going to happen. So that's our strategy, but it means that we have very good monitoring in place. Like we see the metrics where we want to detect it as early as possible when something happens. And when we detect it, we need to mitigate as fast as possible. So for that, we have a tools and our own kind of fraud engine in place, and we have a good and smart team to actually implement those changes. So that's kind of our fraud prevention. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have any fraud at all, but it means that we are very agile in addressing the, any, any sorts of problems that we have. And also fraud prevention for us, it's also not, not trying to get fraud to zero because that's not even desirable. Because when you get fraud to zero, it means that you're most likely hurting your good customers as well. And our mission is to make it as easy as possible for good customers to use our service while then also keeping fraud costs low. Yeah. I'm going to use this phrase, not hurting, because the good customers, uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> because it's a company who, uh, I believe you started in the market as a taxi company. It's the most important thing to make sure that drivers never hurt anyone. But I believe it's uh, more operational kind of questions. But when you mean, when I say fraud prevention uh, in general, so it's more about the people you're working with, or it's more about understanding the trends? If you have options, be, choose between one of them, what do you believe is most important? Uh, what, so what were the options, people and what? People or uh, knowing the trends? Uh, both are important. Like you can't have one without the other. Like if you know the trends, but you don't have people to act on those trends, then that's pointless. 
and and vice versa as well. Like uh, if if you don't know what's going on, then uh, you're gonna just miss a lot of fraud and get big losses, even with smart people. Yeah, how often you apply technology that you learn from fraudsters to your competitors when you try to order some taxi? No, we don't do that. We don't need to do that. But of course, like when I use any online merchants or our competitors, I kind of pay attention, like what they do, like when do they, what sort of information do they ask when you sign up? Like, do they ask for 3DS when you add a credit card? Kind of, that, that's kind of professional uh, curiosity that you kind of find out what they're doing there. And you kind of think that, okay, uh, do they trust me now? Or like, at what point uh, do they start trusting me? Yeah, you know what's uh, really interesting when you're looking at the same companies across the world and you travel somewhere and the approach is completely different. I recently back from my vacation and I visited the States and the first time I used Luft, I, I never used it before. And for me, it was quite a surprise how they operate and how many of these features for Zoomers they have on uh, iPhones when everything like pop-up messages, a lot of questions, uh, do you want right. to... You know, before the words, you need to complete a kind of survey of 25 pages to make sure that the driver will not disappoint you at the end. Yeah. It's quite crazy. Yeah, and, there are uh, different, different approaches for sure, uh, both for the product side and also from fraud side, like how you deal with different types of fraud. And uh, how long have you been in the fraud industry in general? Uh, long time, more than 15 years already. How's the industry changed so far? And do you see vector where it's going or it's unpredictable? I mean, there are certain trends for sure. When I joined 15 years ago, I joined Skype as a software developer, happened to be in the fraud team. So that was my introduction to fraud. And at that time already, so that was 2007, 2008, there was a lot of uh, technology being used by fraudsters. Like they had their systems automated and um, you know, the goods rosters, they're very professional. And this trend has continued. You see that they're getting more and more organized over the years because there is a lot of money to be made in fraud. That's why the fraudsters do it, right? So there is a motivation for them to become very professional as well. And we sometimes see that, you know, they if they start attacking you, usually it's like first they kind of go easy and find some sort of loophole and then the losses start growing. But the good frosters, they have already tried their methodologies and systems on your competitors. So they have it all figured out. They're ready to go. They're armed. They know exactly what to do. So when they come in, they can cause a lot of damage. And I think this is the this is where it's going. Like the frosters are really well prepared. And when they go in for a kill, you can lose a lot of money. I'm going to straight ask you a question because since you already mentioned this one. So you joined in 2007 Skype as a software developer. So you actually... It's pretty rare case if someone started as um, like developer, which is like mm -hmm. really big industry with a lot of opportunities and a, a lot of opens to grow. Usually people prefer to stay in this path. However, why decide to continue to work with in the fraud areas, moving more for operational part of this one? What was your motivation? Mm -hmm. Can you share your story behind it? Well, to be uh, ironic, maybe I wasn't that good of a de developer. <laughs> that was the reason. <laughs> But I would like to think that uh, I just enjoyed the product part and uh, thinking about fraud as well. Because when, when our team started growing the software development team, building the tooling, then I kind of gradually moved into this product management position to kind of organize like what we're going to build, why, how, 
And they are, that's, that's when you start even thinking more and more like uh, what you're doing and why you're doing. And then six years ago, yeah, I got an offer to join Bolt. And at that time, Bolt was, uh, it was called Taxified, but uh, it was much smaller. We were just doing uh, this ride-sharing business. And uh, this kind of startup environment sounded very exciting to me. So I was like, okay, let, let me make that jump. And I went into a position senior fraud analyst. So very hands-on, like, so programming side, you know, you still do SQL and you're in databases sticking through data, but uh, this this sort of going really hands-on and fighting fraud, building rules, uh, yeah, coming up with uh, countermeasures, like dealing with customer support escalations, like doing all of that, to me, it was very exciting and I enjoyed doing it. Uh, because it's like solving a puzzle, uh, fraud, a fraud case. You see fraud losses, and then you try to uh, work it backwards. Like, okay, why are they doing it? How are they doing it? What are the pattern patterns? And then how can you prevent it? So it's like never, never ending uh, escape room, basically, where you're in. So I enjoy that part. And then when the team started growing, then I took more of a managerial position. I still managed to get my hands dirty every once in a while, go in, change some fraud rules and uh, apply some quick fixes. But now it's more about strategy and this kind of big, the bigger picture thinking. We're going to touch a bit uh, later on about your manager experience, because it's one of the questions uh, I would love to hear more about. But uh, I want to follow up regarding, so your migration from like technical position to become more fraud. Is it really helpful to all your knowledge that you have from like uh, developer positions to applying to fraud or people who just like considering to join, for example, fraud prevention yeah. right now, yeah. they don't really need to know any technical part. For them, it's like just maybe understanding uh, like uh, high picture is going to be enough to start position. I mean, any sort of knowledge that you have can be helpful to you. So for me, uh, having this developer background, maybe it was easier for me than to communicate with the developers when I wanted to get some features implemented to help fighting fraud. I could kind of speak the same language. I was even able to read the code that they were writing to kind of understand how, how the systems work. So it's it's a plus to have, right? Uh, if if you know that, but it's not the necessity. Like if you don't have a software engineering background, that's fine. You can still be a good fraud fighter and fraud analysts, uh, and companies are different as well. In Bolt, we believe in doing a lot with a smaller team and heavily automating. So for us, uh, the people that we have need to be technically strong like, to be able to go into the database and query the data that they need to do. So that's that's the skill that they need to have, not necessarily programming, but yeah, like working with databases and large sets of data. But in some other companies, yeah, you can, you, you can get away with not having that much of a technical skills like you excel and uh, and that sort of things definitely is necessary. But even in my team, we have people from various backgrounds, economics, uh, different kind of engineering. Yeah, like so it's it's all over the place because they don't teach you like fraud fighting at the university. So people kind of end up randomly in this fraud field. So I believe you one of these person who came usually to developers say, um, I saw your story points 10, but it's Jenny speaking, it's one. I know what's kind of work you need to do. <laughs> and developers, no, 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 start to sending something. 
Yes, that's true. I, I remember one story that we needed to integrate with like a third party solution provider. And I had done the same integration at Skype a few years earlier when I was still at Skype. So when I went to Bolt, I asked them, okay, well, let's, let's do it. It's a good provider. Let's integrate. And the estimate that they gave me was like way too much. And I said, well, guys, I did it a few years ago, three times faster. I believe you can do it as well. So uh, yeah, it can be helpful. Amazing story. Is it uh, really great to hear like uh, the stories like that? Because it's actually create your open profile, how you work in the fraud industry. Have you been a victim of fraud? Uh, yes, absolutely. Kind of ironically, when I was at Skype, uh, my credit card was used with our competitor. So, so Yahoo used to have a Yahoo voice service. And then I saw a charge of like five or $10 to purchase their calling minutes. Yeah, so that was one case. So relatively low amount and I called it early, but the second case was bigger. I remember I, I was at the business trip in the US and when I came back a few days later, somebody used my car to buy a plane ticket, like last minute ticket one way from London to Dubai. So that was like quite a bit more expensive, right? And I. I do remember that the credit card that I had with me was new. So I used it only at the hotel and one restaurant. So kind of one of those two places was where the number got stolen from. But yeah, but in, in both cases, I contacted the, the companies and got a refund. So no money lost. Let me think. Oh, there was one case where I actually lost some money. So uh, because I got lazy, I, I was on vacation during the summer. So my mind was kind of off for of fraud. And then I got a call it's like, okay, I got my phone and the person had hung up and without thinking, I just pressed, you know, call back. And then when I called back, I heard that the ringing tone was kind of weird. And then I looked at the phone and the phone number more carefully. And I saw that uh, this is not an Estonian number. This is not a local number immediately like hung up. Uh, Google the phone prefix, it was a Nigerian number. So this was this typical callback scheme that they call you, hang up, you call them. Uh, so it's a premium number in Nigeria. And, and then they pick up and, and they play you this uh, sound as if the phone is still ringing. So you're thinking that you're on the line, but actually the minutes and the money is going away. So that it wasn't very expensive that I, I lost definitely less than 10 euros, but it was, yeah. A good lesson that I, I knew very well about those schemes <laughs> working at Skype, but I still like uh, fell for it because yeah, it was summer, nice, nice hot day. I was, I was not thinking about fraud. And when you mentioned Yahoo, I just like realize um, a lot of people right now who might just listen to this podcast, not re really know about this company, that they have like a lot of innovation things. And right now it is, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if they still exist. They, they have they like Yahoo Finance, I think is still kind, kind of popular. So the, the company and the website is still there, but yeah, that used to be a thing in like the early days of the internet, let's put it this way. Um, that makes me feel yeah. really old. Thank you very much. <laughs> no worries. I feel the same way, you know, when you just like, uh, passes away when uh, you register on any applications and before they ask you the age, it's like a couple of scrolls. And right now you need to scroll to find your year. You realize, okay, so not young enough anymore. 
Yes, that's a, that's so true, because it's it's doubly bad. Uh, first of all, yeah, you have to. It reminds you how old you are, and secondly, like, can't they make it more like easy to use? Like, why do you have to scroll so much? Or the worst thing is if if you have to click through the years, then it's like you really feel how old you are if you have to make those that many clicks. Yeah, for sure. And back to your um, probably current position, uh, because uh, you're a great example of the person who moved from a core senior position to become a manager. What skills are necessary to resist migration? Um, would you be able to give any recommendation for people who are considering to switch their position from core to become more managers, etc., mm-hmm. etc.? Cetera, et cetera? Uh, I guess I don't have a magical formula, and I, I think every company is different, depends on the structure, like what is required from this job. But I think the biggest difference for me was like switching from a senior fraud analyst to more of a manager and team lead position was that you are removed then from doing the hands-on stuff. You can still do it and it's fine, like because you have the expertise and so on, but actually your main responsibility becomes uh, managing your team and making them succeed. Like that's your biggest success criteria that you have to enable your team to work as effectively as possible. That means giving them, you know, clear guidance in terms of strategy, what we want to do, why we want to do, how we want to do it, motivating them, making sure that they have the right toolings or whatever it is, like in-house tooling or buying something externally, and then also hiring the people. So you really start thinking about how to succeed and why to build something at all and which direction to go. But this execution part of you know combating fraud, you have to kind of let go and trust the other the other people that they will succeed in doing that. So that was kind of you have to switch your mindset a bit because if you're a good fraud analyst, senior fraud analyst, you have a lot of experience. When you see a problem, your first instinct is to jump on it and start solving it. Like actually go in, start building a fraud rule, start implementing some countermeasures like fix, fix, fix. But as a manager, you need to go, need to be able to step back a bit and and think of like is this the better way or how to or what's our long-term view like what's our strategy and what's what's the right thing to do because there is always so many things that you could be doing as a team and then you need to prioritize that correctly so that's kind of the, uh, the difference and maybe you don't get so many direct wins either that as a fraud analyst when you implement a rule and it works like it's an immediate feedback that hey you're doing a great job but as a manager you kind of more on this abstract level that you look at KPIs, which then move one way or another way, and you have to take satisfaction in knowing that, yeah, your team is succeeding. Let's say uh, you open position right now for a team lead uh, in your team, and you have two applicants, one of them really strong uh, from more technical perspective, like mm. more in- individual contributor, but uh, someone who considering to jump uh, on like more manager position or team lead mm. position in that case. Or you have another candidate who is really good with manager people, but really limited knowledge about how to work with a fraud mm-hmm. as a, a, from operational perspective. Which one you consider to choose? And uh, maybe you can share a couple of questions you're going to ask the person to validate what's the right approach here. Mm-hmm. Uh, good question. Yeah. Like we're talking about very kind of opposite ends of the spectrum here, like very strong individual contributor and then just people manager without fraud knowledge. And I think that fraud is in that sense special that 
you need to have that fraud domain knowledge. Like it's, we don't need like a general, like people manager who can, like we have HR for that. Or <laughs> if you have any, any questions like this, that we still, our team leads need to be very knowledgeable about the field and they need to be able to guide and maybe coach their, um, their team a bit. So yeah, if you don't have any prior fraud experience, then I would not consider you as a fraud manager. If you just, you might be very good, like payments manager, but fraud is different. So that's the domain knowledge is definitely required. And then uh, on the other side, yeah, if you have somebody who has a very strong track record as an individual contributor in the fraud space, then what we would typically ask, ask is that, okay, you have certain metrics, right? That you want to get fraud low, but you know, what's a good number for, uh, for a fraud rate? You know, that, that's a good question to have because yeah, like zero is a good number for example, but why, <laughs> or, or why not? And, uh, that kind of shows the person's level of thinking, like, are they considering, because some people are like very good at just putting down fraud. Okay. You know how to build rules. You act fast, very, very good. But yeah, as a team lead, you need to be able to think as well that, uh, what's the tar best target fraud rate? Like how much should we put resources in fighting like one type of fraud, another type of fraud, and how do we scale as a team as well? That's very important for Bolt as we are growing, uh, you know, in existing markets and going to new markets, uh, we need to be always mindful that, okay, in a year's time, we're going to have maybe 30% or 50% more volume. How do we handle it? Like the decisions that we make today on how we build our fraud engine will affect us in a year's time. So if we do it, get it wrong right now, we're going to really struggle in a year's time. So that the team lead needs to be able to think like this, that uh, how do I make sure that we're successful also in the long run, not just in the short run. Quite interesting knowledge and uh, probably someone who <laughs> consider to apply to front and both, they might hear this one. It's quite interesting knowledge. I I agree with uh, a lot of things that you mentioned that uh, without uh, kind of like dirty hands in the fraud, it's pretty hard to work in this industry. But uh, from another perspective, uh, yeah, some people, like in the, I believe problem with individual contributors that uh, they are waiting, as you mentioned before, quick response and what they drive people crazy who manage to these positions, they realize okay, we changed something. I don't know, it's a good bet and they need to wait time. However, yeah. when you're doing before yourself some rules, you're already see immediate impact. Mm -hmm. It's not makes sense. And um, do you have any dream position? I mean, do you like consider yourself to moving forwards on some dream position in the fraud industry and you might working on something right now improving you know, some of your skills? I think right now, like the Bolt is growing so rapidly and it's a super exciting ride that I think I can kind of fulfill my career growth ambitions here for the time being, for sure. Like, so that I don't have any like, uh, ambitions in, in terms of a title or uh, official positions like this. I, I do enjoy making the impact that we're making at Bolt. Like I, because we deal the fraud that we deal with, it's very visible. Like when somebody's right you know we have certain drivers maybe who are acting incorrectly or riders like uh, so it's it's immediate feedback when you block somebody like it, it affects the numbers and you can kind of understand how the fraud is happening so i think that in that sense as well where i am right now it's 
it's a good place to be. And yeah, being part of this uh, growth of Bolt and the success story and how we're changing really how people move around, uh, it's a great place to be. Happy to hear. And I believe uh, people from uh, your team are so more than happy to hear this one. If you're tired of fraud prevention, where are you going? Uh, then I go on a vacation. <laughs> yeah, because um, I, I really do believe that having a good work-life balance, that was actually one of my main worries when I was coming from Microsoft because yeah, Skype got acquired by Microsoft. So I was an official part of at Microsoft six years ago. I was a little bit worried that at the time I had already two kids, uh, things going on in my life that when I go to a startup right now, like, does it mean that I need to work uh, seven days a week, 12 hours, like, and I, I won't have a life at all. Like, um, I'm really getting too old for that. Right. But I was assured uh, by other people in the company who also had families and everything that, yeah, it's, it's possible to keep that same balance. And, um, I would want to believe that I've managed to do that myself. Like I, of course, when we were dealing with fraud, sometimes you are working on weekends, there's a fraud attack. You need to work on weekends. Like nobody's counting the hours, nobody's asking for overtime pay, but then you need to be mindful also that, okay, that attack is mitigated. Great. Now it's your responsibility to take some time off. And in our team, I have really encouraged people to also follow this culture. I, I don't count their hours. Like I, I say, it's your responsibility that if you work on Saturday evening, that take some time off, whatever, like do whatever you want later on Tuesday morning, like sleep, read a book, watch Netflix, go for a walk. But you need to have that balance because it's, it's not a sprint here. Like I want the team and myself to be still working in a year's time and be happy and motivated. So it's a marathon you need to kind of, yeah work hard and then rest as well. So, so yeah, that's where I go when I get tired of, uh, of doing this fraud stuff. Really like how you present that example to your team. That's, uh, it is the work life balance is important because every, everyone forgot about it. I have some friends, uh, they're not only in the fraud prevention area, but in different kinds of areas who overworking and, uh, some of them and end up in burnout, uh, for half a year, year. And, uh, it's a lot happens because they looking on their manager who just like sitting at the end, uh, at work and, uh, replying all emails at nights, the manager is, um, kind of like great example and believe they need to do the same things. But you since you're presenting is a different kind of culture, I believe your team more sufficient and, uh, they're more happy on the work in long term. And, uh, I wasn't sure. If we're looking at the statistics in uh, in your team, it's not uh, after one year like ninety nine percent of uh, people leaving your team. It's probably they can no 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 yeah. We we have people in in the team who have been here like the guy who was there before me, Mark. He's still there. He's he's gonna have his seven year anniversary in the spring, and uh, there are people there for like three or four years. So yeah, like. So I'm really happy about this part. And what you mentioned about, for example, yeah, setting an example in terms of answering emails or stuff like that. Well, we're a startup, so we don't really do emails. Uh, we have Slack, but uh, so in Slack, you have this great feature because sometimes yeah, I put my kids to sleep and then I have a great, great idea comes to me like, okay, we can do something better. And then I go write the Slack message. And in Slack, you have the good feature to say, okay, don't send it now, 
send it in the morning. Because even if you write into this, into this message that, hey, let's talk about it in the morning, don't worry about it right now. I know if the person sees it on their phone, they start thinking about it. And that's a problem then because they start working basically. So I just schedule it for later uh, to have some more sanity like this. I'm really waiting when Slack uh, introduce uh, the features the same as they have in Telegram when you can uh, send a message without sound and notification. Because mm -hmm. it's another great thing. So you just like send message and person who get message not get any notification once they open application. It's going to be very useful. But schedule messages, it's a killer feature, I believe. Everyone, uh, I would encourage everyone using this one specifically at night time or if you're working from different time zones. Uh, it's, it's quite useful. Absolutely. To be honest, I don't have any other questions left. However, if you want to share anything else or if you have any last yeah. advices for people who consider to join fraud or stay here without motivation and consider to left fraud, fraud fight areas, it's a great time. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I really enjoy this uh, field. To me, it's exciting. It's like chaotic at times, right? <laughs> you you can plan ahead, but then frosters surprise you and you have to deal with it and uh, you have to adapt really fast. So I like it and I understand it's not for everybody either. So it's okay if somebody says that, no, I want to work in a more structured environment. Like, yeah, you can go into accounting. It's more structured there, right? But yeah, if you enjoy kind of saving the world sometimes and uh, being under the attack, and then when you're under attack, it's super stressful, of course, because while you're losing money, the upper management is asking questions. So it can be stressful, but if you know that, okay, in the end you will pull through it, it also gives you kind of immediate feedback and a good sense of accomplishment. So that's very rewarding to me personally. So I would, yeah, if you're thinking about Having a career in fraud, like I would definitely ask people to check it out. Or if you're thinking about switching to a cool company, then Bolt is always hiring. So let's talk as well. But uh, yeah, one thing is definitely about this. It, it, it can be very stressful. So that means that you need to enjoy the process. Like uh, if you don't enjoy the process of kind of putting a rule in place and then have, seeing half an hour later how frost has just bypassed it and you have to go again and again, this is frustrating, but at the same time, you have to enjoy it. So I always bring parallels from sport, uh, sports because I did it. In sports, it's the same thing. Like all these good athletes, they put in a lot of work and it's a lot of grinding, doing the same exercising, doing the hard work, sweating a lot. So you have to put in that work in order to become good and successful. So that's how I try to also motivate uh, my team and myself with those words. So sweat on the work, yeah? <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's about enjoying the process. Like, and that's why uh, in our team, we joke around a lot. Like, uh, okay, we have our daily stand-ups. That's our routine. We, uh, all the operational people, like not engineers have their own stand-up when they talk about stuff, but we have our operational stand-up. It started, I think, at COVID times, because before that we were in the office, we were naturally talking anyway, but then at COVID, we, we did officially the call. So everybody presents something like what they did yesterday, uh, what they're going to do today, any blockers. But that's not the main point of that meeting. The main point is the first 10, 15 minutes when we just joke around, talk about what's going on in the world, what's going on in the company, so that the people are more like as, as one team and are hopefully motivated in a positive way 
and enjoy working together because it's uh, in fraud, I believe also it's collaboration, uh, brainstorming, uh, bouncing around ideas that you have, like you're trying to solve a complicated problem. So it's good to get some help and some uh, other feedback from other people. So yeah, try trying to stay as positive in this kind of somewhat serious business that we do. One more example of great culture. Janus, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I don't have any other questions left. Uh, it was a nice talk and nice conversation to hear your story and to hear a lot about uh, both and the work environment of the company. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me. And I believe I'm going to say my favorite word uh, at the end of each podcast. It is cut.